0: the guys know me as the realistic dietitian. I tell them, Hey, I am a fat kid at heart. Um, I love food. I'm from the South. My dad had a shrimp boat, so I grew up on lots of fried foods. Um, that doesn't mean it was the right thing to do.
1: And welcome to the run the race podcast, where we talk about fitness and faith on a weekly basis. And we all need motivation, maybe to lose weight or get stronger physically or get closer to God as we all seek purpose in life. I'm your host, Jason Dennis, hoping to inspire you to run the race of life as we sit down with fascinating guests digging deeper into the mind, body, and soul. Let's do this. Well, howdy, folks. Uh, Today, uh, as you listen to this, we are talking about food, glorious food, So uh, I know I love to eat, maybe you do as well, and so we have an expert on the topic today on this Run the Race podcast, episode number 99, so about to hit triple digits here. Uh, We have Christina Laparus-Franklin. She is a tactical performance dietitian working as a subcontractor with the military here uh, on Fort Benning, and uh, so uh, exciting to to talk to her about all kinds of things like uh, how to improve your health and your athletic. Performance with what you eat or, or don't eat, uh, how she helps soldiers, uh, you know, uh, with training, and um, what, what, what some of your goals are in terms of weight loss or weight gain, and uh, what you're supposed to do, you know, during. Um Uh, You know, training or working out uh, before or after a workout, uh, during a big event or of endurance or anything else. She's also a a triathlete herself and also a newlywed. And uh, she also talks about uh, trusting in God and how, you know, God's plan A for our life is better— uh, God's plan B, that is for our life, is better than our plan A. So there you go. And uh, so before we uh, get introduced and and talk to Christina about all kinds of things, food, you know, uh, with, with my story, and some of you guys have heard this before on previous episodes of the uh, the podcast here, uh, you know, back before I started uh, running about eight years ago, I um, you know kind of was uh, would ping pong between about 180 pounds all the way up to 200, 205, and I was like, you know, I would I would diet, and I would lose 20. Twenty-five pounds or more. And then I would, you know, slowly over the course of months, gain that back because I enjoy food and the holidays and stress and other things happen. So, um, you know, I started running uh, seven or eight years ago and eating healthier. And I figured out that uh, the more I ran and now you're training and and have run uh, about 20 marathons the last five or six years, and you're running, you know, 30 to 50 miles most weeks. But that I can kind of get away with eating really what I want, so now my kind of uh, weight is usually hovering between 175 to 184, somewhere in that range, so uh, feeling a lot healthier now, but I get to eat what I want. Now, uh, I recently just came back from Disney World. We didn't eat the the healthiest there. We had the Super Bowl, uh, my birthday, so lots of different things where uh, I have uh, eaten a lot more than I should, uh, but I'll get back on track. And uh, someone to help us out with that, getting on track with our nutrition, is uh, Christina Laparuse Franklin, our guest on the pod for today. Uh, She works uh, with uh, special ops soldiers on Fort Benning, which is uh, just next to us here uh, in Columbus, Georgia. She has worked as a performance dietitian since 2013 and uh, and with the Army uh, and with the VA since 2014. She has her Master's of Science degree in nutrition and food science with a sports nutrition emphasis from Florida State University at Seminoles. She has her Bachelor of Science in Dietetics. Uh, from Nicholas State University. She's also a board-certified specialist in sports dietetics and has recently started a a new diploma program, International Olympic Committee Sports Nutrition. Uh, She talks in our conversation about being a former figure competitor, uh, which is in the uh, area of bodybuilding, and she currently is a triathlete who uh, is aiming to do her first Ironman, which she was going to do a couple years ago, but COVID and some other things kind of got in the way. Uh, She's very physical. Physically active. She's passionate about nutrition when it comes to improving not only your athletic performance but also your health and you know endurance and kind of you know being around a lot longer for for your kids and your family, everything else. Uh, she recently got married to her husband Don. Uh, they've been only been married about two months now. Uh, she grew up in the Catholic faith but has converted to uh, being a Methodist uh, about three or four years ago. Uh, a firm believer in trusting God's plan. For her life. So, uh, talking about food and a lot more with uh, this tactical performance dietitian. Well, I'd like to welcome to the podcast and just met you for the first time in person, Christina Laperouse Franklin. Did I did I pronounce that right? You did. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now your official title is tactical performance dietitian. You work as a subcontractor with the the military and the special ops community. That it's a, it's a very impressive title, right?
0: I, I yeah, you can say that. <laughs> I mean, we get called lots of things, but that's the official title.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, well, first of all, with that in mind, I mean, we want to talk about different things, you know, with the, the military and and how you help, you know. Um, endurance athletes and what you have advice for them in terms of what to eat and how much to eat. And, and also, you know, your faith is very important to you as well. But first I want to talk about, you know, we're a month and a half, two months into the new year. And, uh, you know, weight loss is always a big new year's resolution. So in terms of, you know, uh, what do you recommend as somebody that is a um, an expert mm-hmm. in terms of nutrition and a performance dietitian? Uh, what should we eat or not eat to? Well, first of all, improve our health. Are there mm-hmm. some kind of do's and don'ts of this?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, the first thing I tell people who make resolutions, you know, instead of making resolutions, resolve to change. Don't resolve to lose weight. Don't resolve to get healthier. And that sounds odd, but the reason I say that is your goals have to be very specific. If you say, I want to get healthier, what does that mean? You know, you have to really define that what that means to you. So good guidelines, um, general healthy diet. You know, we've all noticed there are various trends and uh, bad diets that pop up on a regular basis. We've seen keto off and on for many, <laughs> many decades. It is not new. You know, we see intermittent fasting coming up. We see all of these, you know, various diets that like to eliminate entire food groups. That is definitely not healthy. Um, You know, what is tried and true and still true today is what a lot of our parents told us, eat your fruits and veggies, right? Mm. Um, We often think about macronutrients. So when I talk to people, they'll ask me about macros and counting macros. And for people who don't know what that means, it's short for macronutrients, which is your carbohydrates, protein, and your fats. Those are the things that we need in larger amounts. But people often forget the micronutrients. Those are going to be your vitamins and minerals and your phytochemicals. They come in smaller amounts. But while the macronutrients provide you the calories you need, the micronutrients keep your body healthy. They support your immune system. They protect you against various diseases such as cancer. They protect you against heart disease. They support your vision, your bone health, um, you know, everything in the body. And we know that lots of chronic diseases are caused by chronic inflammation. Yeah. So if we can manage day-to-day inflammatory processes by loading up on our vegetables and our fruits, keeping our meats very lean. Um, so we often say the less legs, the better. So if we're talking animal products, fish is going to be better than chicken, Will be which will be better than your pork and your beef. Um, and certainly plant-based proteins has its place. And I often encourage people to include more of those into their diet. Um, we want to have good quality fats. You know, back in the... I'd say 80s, we had the low-fat diets and quickly realized that was a terrible idea.
1: Um, (laughs) You need the fat.
0: Right. We we didn't cut out just a certain type, we cut them all out. And that was awful. So we know our foods that are going to be high in our omega-3s, things like our fatty fish, salmon, tuna, mackerel, sardines, anchovies, things like farm-raised trout. Those are excellent for us. Those omega-3s support our brain health. They support our heart health. They reduce inflammation in the body. There's a lot of good research behind there. Um, Fats that come from walnuts and almonds and flax seeds. Those are all very beneficial. Same thing with avocado. So we don't want to cut those out. We have to monitor the portions, of course, because they are high calorie, but we don't want to cut those out. What we want to watch is our intake of highly saturated fats. So we certainly need saturated fat in our diet, but excessive amounts leads to um, increases in cholesterol for those who are predisposed to cardiovascular diseases. It leads to increases in inflammation in the body as well. So those are the things that we'd want to kind of restrict. So High amounts of uh, vegetables and fruit for most people. I tell them half their plate should be vegetables with a little fruit on the side. Um, certainly, those ratios change a little bit when we're dealing with competitive athletes, but generally speaking, half of it should be vegetables. About a quarter of it should be some type of lean protein. The other quarter should be whole grains or good quality starches. Yeah. Certainly, some fruit on the side as well.
1: So separate your plate and kind of in that way. And mm-hmm. so we just had the Super Bowl recently, where you know we all had big feasts, and so like you know. Barbecue, mm-hmm. uh, nachos, maybe ice cream afterwards. So those are probably uh, maybe uh, treats, but shouldn't Correct. be a regular thing, right?
0: <laughs> Correct. And when I when I do briefs at work all the time, you know the guys know me as the realistic dietitian. I tell them, hey, I am a fat kid at heart. <laughs> um, I love food. I'm from the South. My dad had a shrimp boat, so I grew up on lots of fried foods. Um, that doesn't mean it was the right thing to do, you know. Things like burgers, pizzas, wings, you know, hot dogs. Those things can be okay on occasion. You know, I work with a lot of guys who will tell me, hey, every Friday night is pizza night for our kids. Um, Or, you know, if they don't have kids, they get together with their buddies on the weekend to kind of decompress. And I always tell them, that's okay. Um, if it's a standing every Friday, what can you do to make that meal one step better? If it's pizza, can we do a leaner meat instead of full on meat lovers, dripping oil all over, right? Yeah. Or can we just add some vegetables to yeah, it? Yeah, veggies on the pizza. Right. Yeah. Can we add some veggies? Um, I told them all the time, hey, if you just really, really want that burger, can you not have fries and maybe have a baked potato instead? So what can we do to make that meal one step healthier? Um, I like to meet people where they are. And certainly I have people who will cook everything from scratch and they will be all, you know, plant-based, healthy, you know, cooking uh, sauces and everything from scratch. And I have people who macaroni and cheese, for them to make that, that's a success. So, <laughs> you know, I have to meet them where they are. And, and that's not just the environment that I work in, but that's anybody I speak with. Um, the goals you set have to be realistic.
1: And I know, you know, you're passionate also about helping people with their athletic performance, people that maybe are more Fit Mm -hmm. or muscular or fast. So, you know, uh, what we eat makes a difference there too, like maybe before or after Mm -hmm. um, working out or that big event or race you have.
0: Absolutely. It does. Um, you know, the one thing we don't want to go do is go into any type of competitive event depleted. So, you know, normal daily training, I often don't encourage people to do that fasted. Um, you know, a typical, a short, easy run, less than an hour, uh, lower intensity. If someone wants to do that fasted in the morning, that's fine. Um, but more higher intensity activities, anything that's going to last more than an hour or a strength training session, I encourage them to get a little bit of food beforehand. It doesn't have to be anything crazy. Uh, We shoot for about 30 grams of carbohydrates. And what that looks like in real food is a banana or half of a bagel um, or uh, something like a cereal bar. Um, For some people we'll just do a slice of toast with some honey on it. Um, For people I have that really don't tolerate solids before training, maybe just 20 ounces of a sports drink, not a sugar-free sports drink a regular sports drink. (laughs) And so what that's going to do is it's going to top off some of their carbohydrate stores in their body so that they're adequately fueled to get through that training session. And it helps jumpstart the recovery process. So after that session, we want to recover as well. And we want to have about 20 to 30 grams of protein with about 60 to 90 grams of carbohydrates. Certainly those ratios depend on the duration and the intensity of the training. If it's much longer duration, we're going to get closer to those 90 grams of carbs and we're going to repeat it again. So practical idea of what that looks like. A bagel with peanut butter on it with a little bit of jelly will give me approximately eighteen grams of protein with about seventy five grams of
1: carbs. And that sounds pretty good, is it that nice? Pretty
0: simple, right? Um, we can do twenty ounces of chocolate milk and that's gonna give me twenty grams of carbs, excuse me, twenty grams of protein with about sixty grams of carbs. Now when I say chocolate milk, that's old school, you know, but low fat chocolate milk, not fair life chocolate no, milk. Or
1: not not youhoos.
0: Right, exactly. <laughs> and so and the reason why I say not fair life, I, I like Fair Life. I think it's an excellent product. Um, for those who are lactose free, uh, or excuse me, lactose intolerant, but the ratio of carbohydrates to protein is different. So if you do fair life, you'll have to add in something like a bagel on the side to get the carbohydrates because they're a little lower in that product.
1: Yeah, and so. speaking of athletes, you know, you work with mm-hmm. soldiers and especially special ops guys. So is it different? Um, in terms of what you recommend to them and the diet you recommend, because are they kind of training all day long and mm-hmm. are they are maybe not your average Joe or Jane out there?
0: Interestingly, there's a mixed bag of people there. Um I have some individuals who do their, you know, an hour of PT in the morning and they sit behind a computer all day after that. Um it depends on their MOS. And then I have some individuals who may be doing um you know, two sessions a day, so maybe a total of 3 or so hours of training daily. Um you know, I've I've encountered those who will do about an hour and a half of weightlifting, maybe they do another hour of cardio, and then maybe they're doing some MMA a couple days a week as well. So uh, Uh, there's some pretty high output on some of them. And then if you couple that with their jobs, some of their jobs are a lot more physically demanding. So if you look at some of the cadre, you know, they're doing training with the students, um, but also doing their own training. So their output is going to be very different. Um, So my approach with them is kind of three-phased. You know, I look at it from a proactive, active, and kind of a reactive way excuse me, your standpoint, the proactive part is an approach I would take with the general population as well. Proactive is how do we keep the body healthy? How do we help your body to uh, reduce inflammation? How do we prevent long-term chronic diseases and set you up for success? So that's the day-to-day stuff that we do. The, you know, eating all the vegetables, eating the, the fruit, making sure we're sticking to those whole grain products and good quality starches, lean meats, good fats, and hydrating adequately. You know, that's my guidance I would give anybody. And then the active part for these guys is what are we doing during the training? So I mentioned those 30 grams of carbs beforehand, and I mentioned the 20 to 30 uh, grams of protein with 60 to 90 grams of carbs post, but what are we doing during? So the science shows us that if our training session or what we're doing uh, or event that we're doing is between one hour to two and a half hours, we should be getting about 60, excuse me, 30 to 60 grams of carbohydrates per hour. So
1: you're doing that during the actual actual, workout. Correct.
0: Absolutely. And so if it's a lower intensity, you know, we can probably get away with about 30. But if we're talking about a competitive event, um, heart rate's really up there. We're doing a road march or someone's maybe running a marathon or something along those lines, then we're shooting for that 30 to 60 grams of carbohydrates. And what that's going to do is it's going to keep us from crashing. Because while we can use some fat for fuel, if we're working at higher, Intensities were primarily burning carbohydrates for fuel at that time, so we have to keep restoring so we don't run out. Okay, um, we are honestly never going to keep up with the expenditure, but what we're trying to do is reduce the deficits. Yeah. So we're going to get those carbs in there. Um, if the session we're doing is going beyond the two and a half hour limit, we're going to bump that number up to about sixty to ninety grams of carbohydrates per hour. Ninety is usually the upper limit of what the gut can di- um, can tolerate for most people. I've had a few anomalies but most of them that's the higher end of what they can tolerate we're also going to start factoring in fluid in there so sweat losses for athletes um, according to the science for competitive athletes is going to be anywhere from about um, you know 0.3 liters to 2.4 liters per hour The science looking at soldiers shows that they lose anywhere from one to two, sometimes three liters per hour. And part of that has to do with the difference in clothing, um, the gear that they're carrying, you know, being under load. Their expenditure is just higher. They're losing a lot more sweat. And
1: here at Fort Benning, I mean, especially you got like a – four to six month summer where the humidity is just out of this world.
0: Correct. Absolutely. And the humidity is one of the biggest factors in becoming a heat casualty. And that's really just because the humidity does not allow the sweat to evaporate from the skin. So the heat just stays in. Um, Your body cannot cool itself off. Okay. So we have to replace the fluid. And recommendations for your typical athletes is anywhere from about 12 to 24 ounces per hour. But when I'm dealing with these guys, recommendations are closer to one to one and a half liters per hour. Um, Is that hard to
1: get them to drink that much?
0: For some, (laughs) yes. Um, You know, the gut is very malleable. It will adjust to a lot of things. It just takes time. What I explain to people is, you know, when you train your legs to tolerate that squat, it, it didn't happen the first time. It happened over multiple repetitions. The gut is the same way. So you can train your gut to tolerate the fluid load just as food. You know, you have those athletes who will crush a pizza and then go out for a run. And then you have others who, if they eat toast, they're on the sidelines, you know, sick. So um, they really have to train it over time. A lot of the guidance that I give them because you know certainly they have uh, canteens, they have their camel bags, but they can't always see, especially if they're drinking out of a camel bag, they can't always see how much they are drinking. So I typically tell them, hey, if you set your watch to every 15 minutes as a reminder and take about four to six gulps of fluid about every 15 minutes, that's going to keep you in line for that liter to a liter and a half um, that you need. Now, dealing with athletes outside of the military, a lot of them have garments, you know, even the military as well, a lot of those guys have garments also. So I've got one and you know, pretty much everybody I know has one for the most part and you can set reminders on there for feeding, um, also for drinking. And uh, one of the big things that I do encourage them to do is sweat rate testing. And so with sweat rate testing, an individual will weigh themselves with minimal clothing and an empty bladder before going out to do a training session. And then they're going to weigh themselves afterwards, removing, make sure, making sure they're removing any wet clothing and emptying their bladder. Figure out how many pounds they have lost. And if they drank during it, they're going to add in how many ounces of fluid they consumed. So, you know, let's say, for example, you go out for a two-hour run, and you drink 32 ounces of fluid. You figure, okay, let's say you lost three pounds. If you lost three pounds, we first convert that to ounces. That's 48 ounces. And then we add in the 32 ounces you consumed. Now we're looking at about 80 ounces. If I divide that by how many hours you trained... I know that you need 40 ounces of fluid to maintain your hydration status over time.
1: There's your math right there. That's
0: it. (laughs) And so we know that when people drink to thirst, they only replace about half of what they lose. Lots of research shows us that. And for that reason, if your training session or your running or whatever you're doing is up to about 75 minutes, drinking to thirst works. Beyond 75 minutes, it's best to have a plan because that 50% deficit for an hour or two hours really isn't terrible. You may see a decrease in your performance, but it shouldn't be detrimental. But when that deficit grows every hour for three hours, six hours, 12 hours, then it becomes a problem. So we have to have a plan of, you know, for how do we maintain their hydration status. Yeah.
1: And, you know, it talks, um, you know, in the Bible about kind of taking care of your body as Mm -hmm. a temple. Um, So, you know, how, for you, you know, um, does this come you know, down to maybe a, also a matter of faith for you in terms of that it's important to take care of our bodies that we only have, we're only here for, you know, an average of 75, 80 years mm-hmm. each, right?
0: Right. It is. And and honestly, I don't really think of it that way, um, I, I guess, because I'm trained from a scientific background. Right. I am That's a person right. of faith, but I'm trained from a scientific background. So I look at it more of a taking care of your health yeah. um, and more about quality of life. So, you know, yes, I work with the military. I've worked with the military with various units since 2014-ish, but I've also worked with the VA as well, and I've seen the other side of what happens when people get out of the military, and, you know, the last thing I want any of these guys to do once they retire, because a lot of them will be fairly young when they retire, I don't want them to spend the rest of their lives in line at the VA not that the VA is a terrible place because i you know certainly it's it's not if you have to be there but nobody wants to spend their line, their their office excuse me their life in a doctor's office so if we can prevent those long term effects that's what we want to do.
1: Yeah. So the key is like to educate them, mm-hmm. and then what they do with it's kind of their choice, right?
0: Correct. Yes. I mean, yeah. they're not. You know, they there may be occasions where a soldier is told he has to come see me. Um, Maybe they were not meeting standards or something like that, or you know, maybe someone in their leadership is just like, hey, I, th- I think you need to go see her. Um, She may be able to help you. But generally speaking, it is completely voluntary if they want to come see me or not.
1: Yeah. And you talked mm-hmm. about kind of a little bit your journey. You know, I, I know you, you have your master's degree and other degrees and, and nutrition in mm-hmm. terms of your journey to get there and working with the military for, for years. So for you, and you, you also talked about being a firm believer and, and trusting God's plan. I mean, did you feel like that this was kind of your calling or God's plan for your life to, to do this, to work with the army and to, to really kind of spread, uh, I guess, the gospel of nutrition, you know? <laughs> if
0: you ask me that same question, I'd say, oh gosh, um, 10, 15 years ago, I'd have said no, I I never thought I'd be in this position. You know, I was a person who went to college late in life. I was 25 when I started my my undergrad, I was 30 when I started my master's. Um, I was a figure competitor for a few years. So I I thought that I was going to work in physique sports. I got out of college uh, with my master's and thought, surely I'll just find a job in sports nutrition. And it does not work that way. (laughs) It's like snap your fingers. It does not work that way at all. Um, And so, looking into positions, you know, everyone was like, hey, this is great. You have these degrees, but you don't have experience. And so, um, ultimately, I did get some experience and I was able to land a job in the military world. And I loved it. You know, it was a little, in fact, not a little. It was very intimidating at first. Um, You know, a civilian early into their career in in military, not only military, but male-dominated, not only male-dominated, but alpha male-dominated environment. Um, So that was challenging at first. But honestly, there's there's no other way I'd want it to be. The people that I work with are amazing. Um, You know, I just, I feel like they do so much for me, uh, that it's an honor to work with them. And it's, it's what I do for them is a small way to give back to them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you were uh, telling me, you know, kind of off mic that, um, you know, you had a friend that's kind of once said that the God's plan B is better than my or your plan A. Mm -hmm. So for you, it's just kind of like trusting that, you know, he knows what he's doing, right?
0: Absolutely. It is. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the story I actually Mentioned in our small group the other day was in 2014. Um, part of this, people don't realize. I, I originally got hired on to work with the military in 2014, and then three months later, the majority of us lost our jobs because they had to cut a bunch of positions because of funding issues that were had, and they they had to sort them out. Okay, that was when I went to work for the VA. I was so angry at the time, and. You know, I, I think I told you um, previously, I was raised Catholic and I switched to Methodist a couple years ago. But I, at the time, I didn't have the relationship with God that I have now. But I was so angry. I had finally gotten that opportunity. And how did this get taken away? Um, so fast forward a year, the positions were reinstated. The person who was the coordinator for that job called me back and said, hey, do you want to come back? And I said, no, because I was in a permanent position with VA. And I wasn't willing to take the risk. Then a little later, I realized, hey, wait a minute. I was 35 years old at the time. I didn't have children. And I didn't want to spend my life working for the VA. It was a great job. I went home happy, but it wasn't my passion. Right. So I called back and said, hey, I, I would like to work. You know, I'd like to come back. And he says, are you kidding me? I just hired somebody three weeks ago. Ooh. Then he says, you know, I do have another position opening over at Fort Bragg. And which is where I was located at the time.
1: Right. And Fayetteville, North Carolina. Correct. Correct.
0: So I said, okay, which position? And he told me and I said, okay, I'll take that position. The bigger part here where God was playing a role was that when I was at Fort Bragg, my husband worked there. We weren't married then. We just got married a month ago. We were not dating then. That year that I worked there, um, we had two conversations. We talked about his diet once and we talked about cycling once because he's a cyclist. And I had just bought my first bike at that time. Mm. And that was it. That was in, uh, 2015, 2017. When I moved here, 2017, he retired. He got his first Facebook account at that point because he didn't have one while he was in the military. (laughs) And so we became friends and, um, 2019, when I completed my first half Iron excuse me, my second half Ironman, he reached out and congratulated me and being professional, I said, hi, sir, you know, thank you so much. How are you? And that was it. Thanksgiving 2019, we, you know, he reaches out again and says, how was your Thanksgiving? And I was said, you know, professional, hi, sir, how are you? It was great. And we started chatting and hit it off. And here we are, you know, four <laughs> years after we had originally met, we had a conversation. And, um, geez, uh, six years after we met, we got married. Wow! So I, I did not like that job. I didn't like being there. But had I not been there, God would not have brought him to me. That's right. Yeah. My whole point in all this is I can look back and see where God had his hand in everything at that point, yeah. you know, throughout this. So no, 10, 15 years ago, I didn't think I would be here, but I couldn't be happier. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and in having, you know, that that uh, strong faith and having um, a good mindset about things is so important for all of us, Mm -hmm. but especially like if you're a soldier in a stressful environment, if you're an athlete in a stressful environment, Mm -hmm. uh, in the middle of a race or just really hard training, all those things, you know, you're facing these obstacles, having the kind of strong mental fortitude, a a faith for some people is, um, is as important as the training or the nutrition as well. Right.
0: Absolutely. It is, Mm -hmm. you know, definitely is. You have to have that, you know, Um, if we're dealing with athletes outside of the military setting, they have their own set of challenges, especially competitive athletes, pro athletes. When, you know, the Olympics are on right now, these Olympians, they're day in and day out putting in the work, um, you know, facing not just the stresses of the work, but potential injuries or recovering from injuries and, you know, anything could happen or go wrong. And, um, they have to have faith in something. You know, you know, for me, my faith is in God. And I say a higher power, I I say something simply because I respect the fact that, you know, some people believe in other deities. I mean, that's the wrong way to say it, but, you know, believe differently than I do. And I respect that. So I don't know how people get by without faith. Yeah. yeah. I really don't. So, uh, so for them, yes. And for a military, absolutely. You know, I, um, I've had numerous conversations with soldiers and sometimes they're short, quick conversations and you run into some that don't believe at all, you know, and then you run into some who believe but really struggle because of the things that they see. And then you run into those that... They 100% believe in, in everything they do is for a higher power.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know? Kind of a wide range that you work Absolutely
0: with. Absolutely, it is. And
1: uh, you mentioned earlier about being a, uh, a figure competitor. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that, about how you got involved in that and what that exactly is, because people maybe have their misconceptions about
0: sure, that. Sure, sure. Um, so it's different now than it was then. And so um, in, geez, let me think what year? <laughs> 2000. And, I believe it was um, I had moved back to Louisiana I was living in Florida previously um, I hadn't started college yet I, I started late 2005 but um, I was working in New Orleans because I was trying to save money to go to college and I met a friend of mine who was a bodybuilder and I uh, I had previously seen, you know, on magazines, these women that were really fit and I didn't know what, what they were. I mean, I know now that they were fitness models, but at the time I didn't know. I was in my early twenties. I really didn't know. And so I was like, I want to do that. And I didn't, again, I didn't know what it was, I, I but I wanted wanna, to do I, it. I want like to look like yeah, that. I want to look like that, right? Yeah. Big mistake, by the way, we can never look like someone else. But, <laughs> you know, that's what, that's what I thought at the time. Sure. And so I met my friend, you know, who's a bodybuilder and I asked him a couple months later, hey, would you mind training me? So he did, and he prepared me to, to compete. So figure is a division of bodybuilding. Um, at the time, you had women's bodybuilding, which was your your bigger, um, more competitive, more muscular women. And then they had a, a, a harder look more, or just more muscular look. Then you had fitness, which were the ones that were doing more routines, more um uh, gymnastic type routines, and then you had uh, figure. And so figure was basically a smaller bodybuilder with a little bit of a softer look at the time it's changed since then. But at the time, that those are the three divisions we had. So I was a figure competitor. Um, that was a lot of dieting, and a lot of very restrictive dieting, and a lot of weightlifting. And so in 2006, I did four shows then, um, and did fairly well in them, you know, considering the my experience level. Um, and then in 2007, I decided to take a year off from that. So really continue training, but trying to put on a little bit more muscle, a little bit more size at that time. And then in 2008, I did another three shows. 2009, I moved away from grad school, moved away to go to grad school. So my competition days kind of ended at
1: that point. Yeah. You enjoyed it. I mean, the weightlifting aspect of it, or maybe even like the extreme diet type. Sure. Stuff,
0: you know, in all honesty, if I'm I'm being completely honest, It was very stressful. Um, The dieting was very tough. And when I work with individuals who have been to ranger school and they start telling me about all the cravings and everything they want to eat afterwards, I quickly tell them, I've not been to ranger school. I'm not even going to pretend I know what you went through there. But I can tell you, I know what it's like to diet for four months and have a very restrictive intake and really less calories than you need. At the time, I did not know what I know now about about uh, nutrition, and the person who was training me had me eating so much less than what I should have. I mean, I think I was taking in like 1,300 calories a day, which is way too low especially you need for that energy right yeah and you know it was that low because it was trying to get me to lean out um to be ready to be on stage so it was incredibly low and it was it was definitely not healthy in that aspect um it was stressful because I worried about what happens when I can't do this anymore because you, it's it's very um it's it's superficial it's very superficial and I don't mean that in terms of people do it for superficial reasons. I don't mean that at all. There are definitely people who do it. They're passionate about it. They love it. And I think that's amazing. It's done great things for them. And I think that's great. What I mean by the superficial is the people who are looking at you. Right. Um, And, you know, I went from when I was doing this, I I was bartending and I was in college at the same time. And as I would lean out for a show... People would look at me and tell me how great I was looking and um, you're losing weight. You look good. And then those couple weeks before the show, I would get this really kind of odd look. They'd kind of cringe and say, are you okay? You look sick because I was so lean. And then I would do the show. And then come back to normalcy. And then they would look me up and down and say, hey, are you still working out? Because I was getting back to a normal weight. <laughs> so it really... Uh, a lot messes. of judgmental. Yeah, yeah. yeah there, was a, there was a lot of that coming from outside sources. And for someone who you know was very self-conscious to start off with and who always struggled with their weight to start off with, that really messes with your head. And so for me... It was very rewarding once I stood on stage, especially when I was doing well in shows and, you know, I'd win my class or I'd win the show or whatever. Um, So it was definitely very rewarding in that aspect. But there was a lot of um, mental stuff that happened that I just... I don't think I would do it again. Yeah, You know, I wouldn't change it. I'm glad I did it. It was an amazing experience and I met a lot of great people, but it's not something that's for me at this point.
1: Yeah. And, but for you now, I guess Mm -hmm. something different that's made perhaps healthier to do (laughs) is being a triathlete. So you're still, still do that to this day. So out of the three things, which do you prefer? Do you like the running, biking or swimming better?
0: So (laughs) interestingly, (laughs) if you would have asked me that question, um, when I started this in 2017, I would have said cycling. I I loved cycling. Running was not my thing. As I started doing longer races and started doing uh, half Ironmans and then training for a full Ironman, that started to change. And I actually started to enjoy the running a little bit more. And I think part of it was with that volume of training when you're doing so much i was away from home so much and you know you're you're doing 50 60 sometimes 70 mile bike rides that takes you far from home yeah. and so it got to where running just felt It wasn't easier, but mentally I feel like it felt easier because I could stay in proximity to my house, if that makes sense. You could do it
1: in your neighborhood if you really want, or or treadmill or whatever, you know.
0: Absolutely. I I don't know that I'd push out, you know, 10 miles on a treadmill, but, (laughs) you know, especially at my pace. But but I could stay in that proximity, and for whatever reason, it just – felt more desirable. Um, Currently, you know, the only thing I'm doing at this moment is a little bit of running. I'm actually going to start working some cycling back in there. Um, I took quite a bit of a break after January of last year. Um, My last half Ironman was in 2019, and then I was preparing for a full. I had four fulls get canceled because of COVID. Yeah, this and was in 2020. Right? Yeah, yeah, 2020, and then January of last year, I actually fell down a flight of stairs and oh, sprained no. my ankle. Wow. Yeah, it was a fluke accident. Cell phones and stairs don't go well together. Yes, so right. Te- texting <laughs> and walking. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was on the phone and and went to press option one, and I I missed the step, but I I had a really bad ankle sprain, so that really was it for that time. And then, of course, planning the wedding kind of took up a lot of time as, as well. But honestly, I needed the mental break, so I'm yeah. I'm back to running, and I'm looking to put the cycling back in there. Um, and, then you know, do, and then do an Ironman. Yeah, a full, right? yeah, it'll be it'll be a couple years. Um, you know, I just started the IOC, the International Olympic Committee Sports Nutrition Diploma Program, which is about uh, it's a two year, pretty much like a part time master's degree. So doing that on top of full time work pretty demanding. Um, so I don't think I'll be doing an Ironman in the next two years, but I am doing some relays with some friends. You know, I'm going to do the bike leg of some races and I'm going to stick to some runs at this point. Um, swimming, if you haven't gathered is definitely my least favorite activity. (laughs) Um, (laughs) yeah, I, you know, my first, my first triathlon was here in town. If you know, for people who don't know, we have an amazing triathlon community here, we really do. Columbus the, and the Chattahoochee oh, Valley, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This area is amazing. Um, CTC, the Chattahoochee Triathlon Club, is just incredible. They have a great couch to try program, which is actually how I got started. Um, you know, Joanne Colga with Tri Columbus puts on a lot of great races in this area, you know, also in the um, Cal- uh, Callaway Gardens area. So, a lot of people will come into town for them, and it's we're very blessed to actually have these resources here because a lot of towns don't have these. And so that's really how I got started. And, you know, before I moved here, when I was in North Carolina, I thought, well, maybe I'll do a duathlon. I'm not going to do the swim though, because, you know, I can, I know how to drown proof, but I don't really know how to swim laps, right? So Unfortunately, I got injured then, and it didn't happen. So when I moved here, I said, you know, what is available locally? And I saw the, um, the uh, Tri-Columbus um, uh, Sprint, the Chattahoochee Challenge Sprint Triathlon. Yeah. And I said, okay, 500-yard swim, that's not bad. I significantly underestimated how (laughs) long that was and how difficult that was. Yeah. And so... Water um,
1: water is resistance.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, two weeks before the race, I was calling, I called the uh, Columbus Aquatic Center and I said... I just need someone to teach me how to survive this. <laughs> so I met with someone and she taught me a few survival strokes at the time. And, and that's how I got through. And then afterwards, um, you know, I hired a swim coach and, and someone who has taught me, I've worked with coaches who have taught me over time how to swim a 1.2 mile swim, you know, how to how to get through those things. Um, and so it is, it is still my least favorite. Um, but you know and and i think that it's anything can become that way when it becomes a job
1: yeah and and speaking yeah you know? and, and and you know you're talking about kind of getting through and kind of surviving uh, different aspects of a race or event. Mm-hmm. And, and earlier we talked about how, you know, you need to make sure you have enough nutrition even during mm-hmm. an event or during training, mm-hmm. uh, because I guess that in part is to prevent a bonk. You hear right. about bonking during marathons, Correct. but that can happen during training mm-hmm. or other times too. Mm-hmm. So what would you say to endurance athletes, whether it's somebody is doing, you know, like a, a Spartan or a Ironman or a marathon or any other kind of big event, maybe something like ranger training uh, ranger competition or something like that. What would, uh, you know, how do you know if you're taking in too much mm-hmm. or maybe not taking enough in? I mean, is there like, is your body sending you signals that like, that, Hey, you need more, or you need less.
0: Yeah. So, so the biggest thing is train the way you plan to compete. You know, you have to practice these things in training. Don't do anything new on race day. So that's one thing that I teach people to do. Um, If I talk about carbohydrate loading, carbohydrate loading can make someone feel really heavy and really
1: slow. It's a lot of fun though. Yeah, it it is a lot of fun. (laughs)
0: Absolutely. It's a lot of fun. Um, But if I talk to someone about that, then I want them to actually practice it on a training day because I want them to know how they're going to feel because it it does change the way you feel. Um, So the big things are, like I said, go in ready. Do not go in depleted. Make sure you go in adequately hydrated. When you are training, um, you know, follow the pattern that I mentioned about, you know, drinking every 15 minutes um, and making sure you're getting those carbs in. If you start feeling fatigued, ask yourself, have I been drinking? You know, um, it's, it's kind of troubleshooting at that point. Have I been drinking? Have I stayed on top of my electrolytes? Which I didn't mention electrolytes earlier, but that is an essential part, especially with the volume of hydration, you've got to replace the salt. Um, and when I say electrolytes, oftentimes people think potassium. Potassium is usually not the problem. Most of us do just fine with potassium and we get enough through our food. But sodium losses are astronomical. And if we don't replace those, it can be very detrimental Especially for
1: us. if you sweat a lot. I, I, I've, Correct. I've, I got introduced years ago to Sarasport. Correct which was which is a great way to kind of you know mm-hmm. rehydrate I, I had a I experienced uh, during one of the COVID years where everything was getting canceled. I ended up going to an eight-hour endurance race. Mm-hmm. It was in the middle of July in Indiana. I was thinking, oh, it's not going to be hot. It's Indiana. Mm-hmm. But it, the race was from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. And it was uh, 95 degrees, and the heat index was 105. And mm-hmm. I, uh, I thought I had hydrated enough, and I'd get out there, and I didn't use the restroom for seven and a half hours. Right. Because I learned the hard way that I – had not drank enough on the two days before Mm -hmm. and tried to play catch up on the day of or during the event. And it was, there was no going back. It was like, okay, heat stroke. uh, We're almost there, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of thing.
0: Absolutely. And so the guidance that I typically give people is, especially if you're going to do a long event, if you're doing an hour, then it's usually not a big deal. But if you're doing several hours, that becomes a problem if you're not prepared. So um, the guidance I give them is go in ready in the days beforehand. Make sure you're hydrated. Look at, you know, there's some there's some easy color, e- easy ways to look at this. Look at the color of your urine in the morning. Should be clear to pale yellow. Certainly if you're taking vitamins, that's gonna alter this, but otherwise should be in that clear to pale yellow color. Weigh yourself. You know, are you having big weight swings day to day? that can be some fluid changes. Um, Look at the odor of your urine or or notice the odor. That's a very odd one for a lot of people. (laughs) But we all know what normal is like for us, right? Everybody knows what normal is like for them. So if your urine smells really strong and concentrated, that's an indicator that you likely need more fluids.
1: So it's okay to look and smell your urine. (laughs) Yeah, and
0: and the other part is frequency. You know, you just mentioned seven hours you didn't go. Well, normal throughout the day is, you know, urinating about every two to three hours throughout the day. Mm -hmm. And so So if, you know, it's two o'clock in the afternoon and you haven't gone since you woke up that morning, you're not hydrated. Right. Okay. So those are some good non-technical ways to look for hydration day to day. So I tell people do that in the days leading up to it. Um, add some extra sodium to your food in those couple days leading up to it, or drink some electrolyte. Make sure there's so many different products on the market. Um, I, I tell people all the time, every company out there is going to tell you that they have the best product on there, whether it's an electrolyte product or a carbohydrate product or anything like that. What matters is, are you getting enough sodium? Are you getting enough carbohydrates? Do you tolerate it? Certainly, there's other things that matter, absolutely, but those are the are going to be the big ones, Right. Are you hitting those numbers? Um, so make sure you're hydrated,
1: mm-hmm.
0: morning, of, and make sure you're you're eating in those days. Don't skip meals. Morning of drink some fluids in the morning of you don't need to go crazy and overboard if you have several hours beforehand eight to 16 ounces works if you only have about an hour you know five to ten ounces works we're just trying to rehydrate from sleeping at night but you also don't want to have to urinate as soon as you start moving so you have to play that balance yeah um yeah if you're far out from your start time you know two to four hours you can have a heavier meal then if you're less than two hours something close to that 30 grams of carbs i mentioned earlier works um you one thing that I like doing is a packet of oatmeal and I will throw in a tablespoon of honey in it. So it is the sugar sweetened oatmeal, but if I throw in that extra tablespoon of honey, now I went from 35 grams of carbs to about 52 grams of carbs really easily. Yeah. So that's one of the things that I I like doing. And then when you get started, staying on top of the hydration part, in terms of are you eating too much in terms of food, I will tell you if your gut is tolerating it, Eat. <laughs> yeah, yeah <exactly. laughs> that's really what it what it comes well, well, down well, to. Well, they say
1: oftentimes these these trail races mm-hmm. where you're going up and down and using more energy and, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe longer distances, it's almost like an eating contest. It's, Absolutely. It, you know,
0: so the the caloric expenditure is so high that you you really cannot keep up with it. So eat as much as your gut can tolerate, um, but with a minimum of those. You know, the ranges I gave you earlier, 30 to 60 if you're less than two and a half hours and then 60 to 90 if you're over two and a half hours. Um, For hydration, that one becomes a little tricky because you can definitely overhydrate. And a lot of the symptoms of overhydration are very similar to underhydration. So, you know, cramping can occur in both. Headaches and dizziness can occur in both as well. So tracking your hydration or just knowing, hey, I had... You know, in, in practice, in this type of heat, I normally have to stick with 16 ounces an hour, you know, for example. And so race day, this is what I'm going to do.
1: So, you know, like you said, train as it's yes. going to happen. And then, you know, cause Absolutely. Then, then you'll know how your body and your mm-hmm. stomach and everything's going to react.
0: Right? Absolutely. You know, for example, when I hmm. when I do races, I know that on the bike, I have to put down a cycling bottle, which would be twenty one to twenty four ounces, every hour to stay on top of my hydration. Yeah. If you do an entire five hour race and you're not urinating at least once, then you are not hydrating enough. The other thing that you want to do is you want to keep your uh, your fluid loss to less than two percent or approximately two percent of your body weight. So you know if you are a hundred and fifty pound person, um, if you weigh yourself pre and then you weigh yourself after, you want to w- be within about a three pound loss. So at two percent, your body's ability to regulate its temperature starts to become compromised. When we get to three percent, we start to seeing de- uh, see decreases in endurance capabilities. Two um, to three percent loss in body weight from fluid loss can give you a six to seven percent deficit in performance. Wow! So it can definitely hurt performance pretty pretty what? pretty big. So once we go beyond that, we start seeing some heat cramps. Once we go beyond uh, 6% is when things can get really detrimental, you know, uh, more severe heat cramps, comas, and you can absolutely die from this. You know, it can happen in extreme cases. So I know that's not quite the answer you're looking for and how do no. you know if you're over or under, but the big thing that I would say is train, you know, practice it during training. Don't wait till race day to figure it out. Yeah. Um, weigh yourself before, weigh yourself after, figure out what those deficits are and try to keep it close to 2%. Yeah.
1: Practicing carb loading. I, I've got that down. Yes. I, mean, I, <laughs> I, I, I mean, cause I tell people sometimes they say, why do you run so much? I'm like, well, so they don't have to diet. I can I mean if I run forty <laughs> or fifty miles a week then I can pretty much get away with kinda eating kinda what I want and and it's kind of everything I mean, I need to eat kind of a balanced thing, mm-hmm. but I mean I run so that I can, you know, enjoy you know the things that I like to eat. You know mm-hmm. and drink. So you've been married for about a month or two now. About uh, two months. Okay. Mm-hmm. So now, does Christina and your new husband, former special ops guy mm-hmm. Don, does do you guys practice what you preach in terms of nutrition or or? Uh... Absolutely. I I would say
0: ninety percent <laughs> of the time we're both we do both do pretty well. We both enjoy desserts, you know, we yeah. both enjoy pizza, we enjoy those things on occasion, and that is okay. And that's one thing that I really try to to push the people. Um, you know, we've seen trends over the years of people really going to extremes, and, and there's a term called orthorexia. It's, it's an, a legitimate term for people that go to extremes on nutrition. Um, and that's not healthy. That's really not healthy. So balance is key. Balance has always been the key. So... We, we definitely try to do the right thing 80 to 90% of the time. And then we, you know, we have little snacks here and there, and that's okay too.
1: Yeah, in moderation and, and treat yourself, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's okay as long as you don't treat yourself, you know, 80% of the time, right? Correct.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely correct. So, yes. Yeah, we usually follow kind of an 80 20 rule. And I usually tell that to people who 80% of the time, you know, follow a good, healthy diet. 20%, it's okay to have a treat here and there. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. go to the movies, have some popcorn, that kind of thing. Correct. Yeah. I appreciate all your help. You got some great. Great advice about nutrition. Hopefully, uh, we will all uh, take it in and uh, and learn a lot and uh, get be better people and athletes because of it. So,
0: thank you very much.
1: We also salute Christina for uh, you know working with our military, our our heroes, and helping them be healthier and uh, you know uh, meet their training standards. And uh, just you know, be healthier. You know, not only physically and their bodies, but also mentally as well. That's a very important part of not just our performance, but just our overall health in life. And uh, you know, if you missed last week's episode, make sure to, to tune in. Some of my favorite people in the entire world, pastors Ron and Suzanne Cox in Central Alabama, they have really just uh, incredible stories. Not only their love story, but of uh, the things they've been through, some um, really immense obstacles. And uh, that was kind of in coinciding with Valentine's Day. And uh, so, uh, make sure to, to tune in for that. And then next week, I'm hoping to do on uh, episode number 100 of Run the Race, which you can listen to all the previous ones, WTVM.com slash podcast. And uh, we're on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, all those places. And you can love for you to write reviews and let us know what you think about this. Even if you you don't like it, let us know that as well. But uh, hopefully you enjoy listening and kind of get some entertainment and uh, um, also some education and inspiration from what we say here. But next week, episode number 100, uh, hoping to do kind of a best of episode, which is what we did for episode 50 as well. But so for the last 40 or 50 episodes, I'll just kind of pick out some of the best things that maybe you missed uh, related to fitness or faith, uh, things that really uh, will hopefully impact your life and that you can carry with you and use in your daily life. Now onto our final segments of the podcast, and appropriately this, uh, this first one, uh, as we're talking about uh, this, uh, it is our Food for thought. This comes from the uh, news from Syracuse University, their campus and community online website. The article is called, Everyone Can Do It, How to Eat Like an Olympian. So, you know, we're, we just had the Olympics that just ended, the uh, Winter Olympics in Beijing. And so you remember, you know, years ago where we heard about Michael Phelps, who, uh, you know, won a record eight gold medals at the Summer Olympics in 2008, um, I guess more than a decade ago. Uh, he is was, you know, consumed about 12,000 calories a day, according to reports which is uh, about six times more than what the normal person needs to take in. Uh, for his or her life, so uh, you know that's that's to the extreme. So how can we use what these Olympians do? Um, you know they, they use food to fuel their bodies. How can we eat like an Olympian? Well, uh, Maggie McCruden, who is a 2014 graduate of Syracuse, uh, she is the food and nutrition registered dietitian for the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee in Lake Placid, New York. She says you don't have to do eight to twelve thousand calories a day. That does sound like fun, though, but sounds like uh, kind of over doing it some. Well, she was also a captain and of the Orange Women's Rowing Team there at Syracuse. And she did a summer internship with the New York Giants as well. Uh, but she says that with the Olympians, it comes down to, you know, they, they do a lot of meal preparations, meal planning. They understand how food intake affects their ability to perform. So here's some tips for her on, uh, you know, improving your diets, and improving how you feel, and, and fueling your body like some of these Olympic athletes do. She says avoid processed foods. Here's about five or six more. Concentrate instead on natural whole foods, consume a variety of fruits and vegetables, focus on whole grains and lean protein with every meal, don't forget to drink plenty of water to stay hydrated. Allow your body to perform, you know, at its peak level and get plenty of sleep. And so she says if you like chocolate cake or a salty snack like pretzels or maybe even potato chips, you know, it's, it's okay. And actually important to give in to those cravings from uh, time to time. Uh, just do it in moderation. Eat it slowly and and uh, savor each and every one of those bites. So here's some more kind of specific recommendations from McCruden, who uh, works with these Olympic athletes, um, she says brown rice is great. So is jasmine rice and quinoa. And uh, she says in terms of protein, it helps you feel full and helps our body's recovery. She says eggs are great. On the go for breakfast, you get Greek yogurt, milk, black beans, chickpeas, tofu. Also with a chicken, instead of frying it, bake, roast, grill, or saute it. Um, and in terms of an after-workout snack, string cheese, she says is good, along with maybe a piece of bread with peanut butter or almond butter. And there's also hummus and carrots, any bean dips, smoothies, turkey roll-ups, apples with peanut butter, and low-fat cottage cheese, all great examples of snacks. And finally, the fruits and vegetables, you should have a variety of those in different colors. And uh, she includes examples like dark greens, like spinach, kale, and broccoli that are all really the best for you as well. So all that may not sound as good but you know it is uh, really healthy for you and it'll pay off in the end. there's some uh, food for thought for you. And our parting gift, uh, some inspiration related to food and nutrition from an author that you know well from the classics you read maybe growing up, Mark Twain he says quote, "The only way to keep your health is to eat what you don't want, drink what you don't like, and do what you'd rather not." So uh, <laughs> that doesn't sound very fun, but uh, Mark Twain uh, tells it like it is, like the true author that he is. Um, and now to our uh, final, final segment, our closing prayer. Dear Lord, just thank you for this time together. Uh, help us to to, to be disciplined, uh, to take care of our bodies as temples and to, as a witness. And to just, uh, Lord Jesus, just help us to, you know, just be healthier and uh, not just physically, not just with what we eat but also spiritually and mentally that we get into the Word and we pray and, and talk to you on a daily basis and make that part of our regular routine, Lord Jesus. And I uh, just thank you for uh, this opportunity to talk about you, uh, to talk about fitness and uh, nutrition and the things that, uh, that you provide for us every single day with uh, the immense blessings. We thank you so much. You your name me, pray. Amen. Again, thanks for joining us for uh, Run the Race as we are running strong here uh, two years into this podcast, and uh appreciate it. And, uh, you know, it was great to talk to Christina about nutrition tips, uh, some things that will help me out maybe for a few, some future, uh, training cycles and uh, pre and post marathon, even during one of those endurance events, we wish her the very best on her future Ironman and her, uh, new marriage as well. Um, and, uh, looking forward to, uh, having some great guests as we enter, uh, the spring and summer of 2022 time is really flying. Have a great day, folks.